You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Aloha and welcome. So thankful for you tuning in and joining us uh, for our Digital House Church. And if you notice, um, we are in a different location doing worship and the sermon today. And just because restrictions are lifting, want to kind of invite more people into that and have kind of a fuller sense that we're together. And also, just because we're in this house church season, we want to do something that's a bit different. And uh, if you didn't know, um, hopefully you do by now, but this is our second week of digital house churches. And um, if you feel comfortable, I hope that you are gathering right now with other people from our church to be able to worship together and uh, receive the word of God and pray together and take communion together. And uh, if you want to know more about that and kind of how to go about it and homes that are offering, you get to come over and kind of safety protocols to follow and all that stuff, uh, you can just visit our website, realityhonolulu.com. And there's a new page uh, called House Churches there. But uh, really excited and really believe this is the season that God has us in, not just because uh, we don't necessarily have a large gathering space, but we really feel like this is is what we're supposed to be doing for a lot of reasons, and God's really going to deepen our relationships with one another in this house church season. And so um, that said, I want to thank you guys uh, as believers and as Christians that are doing the hard work of navigating all that's happening in our world. And in the midst of that, trying to follow Jesus in it all, right? These last few months have been unprecedented and taxing these last few weeks as well. Just so much to take in and process. And I know that from so many of you, you just feel exhausted, right? It's been a really hard few months. Um, And I want to encourage you, uh, it is important to engage and, and, and ask those questions of how we can honor the Lord and live for the Lord in all of this. But I want to encourage you to take care of yourself and, and you and Jesus, like to create space to rest in the Lord. We have to remember that he's in control of this. He wants to use us, but he doesn't want us to burn out. And so I just want to like say that, church, like it's so important that we pull away and step away and allow the Lord to refresh and renew and strengthen us in this season. And that is my prayer, that the Lord gives all of us the strength to continue to find him personally so that we can be Jesus to the world around us. Um, That said, we also believe that what's happening this time in history is one for the church to take heed to, to listen to. And Guys, I, I believe that, that, that as, as heavy and hard and complicated, complicated and complex all that's happening is, I do believe that it is an incredible opportunity, that the opportunities are, are ripe, that we can, can, can engage, right? That we can be reminded of brokenness around us and we can see it as an opportunity to engage, to see healing and restoration and renewal come to creation. And 
because we're all in different spots here, we want to be mindful of that. Not all of us are, are, are in the same place, in the same thinking, in the same um, area here. Uh, part of doing this together, part of being a family, if we believe that we truly are a family, all right, uh, uh, ohana, then we need to be real and open and vulnerable and honest. And uh, honestly, as a church family, we're so different in so many different ways when it comes to what's happening in the world right now. Um, but I do believe that there can be beauty in our diversity. There can be, but it's just going to take some work and take some openness and some honesty and some vulnerability. And part of that is having a dialogue about it. Um, as you guys know, all of our own families, there's messiness to it, and you can either pretend the, the messiness and the problems aren't there, or you can have family meetings, and you can talk through and, and be open and vulnerable, and that's hard, that's difficult, but it's so necessary, and it bears so much fruit, and when it comes to racial injustice and how we should engage and, um, and all of that. We want to create space to dialogue about that. And so if you saw our announcement this week, um, we are offering this next Tuesday. We're having a Zoom discussion about racial injustice and how we ought to respond as Christians to it. Again, that's Tuesday, June 16th at 7 p.m. All the info is on the website or through our social media channels. But we want to invite all of you to join, and especially those of you that maybe are in a different place than what we've been leading in and communicating, and maybe having trouble especially to, to navigate all this, I want to encourage you to come. Again, it's a safe place, it's moderated, uh, and we're a family, and we just want to be honest and real and try to move forward in unity in that. Uh, that said, we would be amiss if we did not allow the word of God and the Holy Spirit to form us into this. The word of God should be the thing, by the power of the Spirit, the thing that forms us and informs us of what we should do. And we need to remember that through that, what we learn is that our identity as son, is as sons and daughters and followers of Jesus. We're disciples, we're followers. And that is our primary identity, right? Our, our primary identity is not being Republican or Democrat or American, you name it. Those fall in line to our primary first identity. Like as Christians, we are kingdom people. We're not party people. We're not nation people. But first and foremost, we're spirit-filled kingdom of God, Jesus followers. And we know that by what the Word of God tells us. And so let's allow the Word of God once again to uh, shape us, uh, shape our hearts and minds into the image of God. And so uh, if you have your Bible, I'd uh, love for you to grab it, and please open with me to Acts 6, verse 8. That's where we'll start today. And uh, as you guys know, there are weeks where we spend, a, a, you know, one week in one verse, or, or a few weeks in several verses, but this text this morning, we're actually going to read quite a bit of it. Uh, it's a continued story, and so we're going to start in 
chapter 6, verse 8, and go all the way to chapter 8, verse 3. And so I'm going to finish off 6, do all of 7, and the very beginning of 8. And once again, um, I want you guys to bear with me as I read this. I think it's important that we read the Word of God and not just have me summarize it, but you see that I'm not making this stuff up. But it might take a few minutes to read, but once again, it's a continued story, and uh, I'd love for you to grab a seat now uh, in your coffee and follow along as we read this, and I'll be reading out of the NIV. Um, But before we jump in and you kind of get lost in some detail, I I just want you to know that what we're going to be reading right now is the questioning or or the quote-unquote like trial of Stephen and his subsequent death that comes from the trial that is being put on. And Stephen, remember, is this newly raised up servant and deacon in the church we read about last week, but that's what we're reading right now. We're jumping in to this this lens into the life of Peter and his questioning and his subsequent death. So we'll unpack it after this, but let's go ahead and read it. Acts 6 verse 8 says this, Now Stephen a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the the face of an angel. Uh, Chapter 7. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and sisters, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land. Even though at the time Abraham had no child, God spoke to him in this way. For for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. God said, and afterward, they will come out of the country and worship me in this place. And he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him uh, eight days after his birth. 
Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all of Egypt and Canaan, brought great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers uh, who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt where he and his fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of the people in Egypt was greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with the people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their own newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family when he was placed outside. Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 45 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought, he, um, thought his own people would realize that God was with him to rescue them. But they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who, who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing them as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the Lord God of your forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Verse 35. Then, uh, excuse me, this is the same Moses that they had rejected with their words, who made you ruler and judge. He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. 
He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make, God, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and revealed in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon, and stars. This agrees with what was written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings? Forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel. You have taken up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god, Rephan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or will my resting place be? Has not my hands made all these things? Verse 51, Stephen says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received uh, you who have received the law that was given through the angels and have not obeyed it. Verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, the story of, of Israel's history, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And then chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea, Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Okay, 
Good job. That was a lot. Congratulate yourself for sitting still, but maybe you didn't sit still because I wouldn't know because I'm not with you. But either way, here is what is happening. I know there's a lot there. It was kind of a rehash of Israel's whole history. But here's what's happening. Right, Stephen, our main character, right? He's one of the seven servants or deacons that was raised up by the apostles last week in our text that we studied to help serve specifically in this food distribution ministry. Uh, he was raised up because there was... Um, kind of unfair treatment happening inside and outside of the church. The apostles were having trouble managing it all, and so they raised up uh, several people in the church to help kind of lead in these areas. And Stephen is described there as a man full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And what happened is they prayed over him and they let him go. And the Lord has continued to use him mightily. And um, that's exactly what he did. Not only did he help kind of fix this feeding program going on last week, but even in the first verse that I just read today, it continues to describe Stephen. And it says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Okay, so Pete, uh, excuse me, Stephen here, he, he's doing it. He's going for it. And, and to be honest, he's all that we could really ask ourselves that we, we, we want to be ourselves. He was living wholeheartedly for Christ in both word and deed. He was loving God and others. He's spirit-filled. He's spirit-empowered. Um, I mean, this, this, he's, doing, he's, he's incredibly living for the Lord. But once again, the response of a lot of people around him was that they took offense. They disliked what he was preaching and doing. They were angered, even outraged about the message of Jesus that was being preached. And again, because Stephen isn't doing something that's outrightly wrong, they go ahead, the Sanhedrin, the, the officials, those that are outraged, it says that they secretly devise things that weren't true. That's verse 11 of chapter 6. And they say that Stephen is actually speaking against, and he's wanting to tear down the temple, right? That, the, the thing that was most precious to these Jewish leaders, and that Stephen was also wanting to dismantle and do away with the law, the law of Moses. In essence, it was like their Bible, and so they make up these false allegations and they gather around him to question him. And so in verse 1 of chapter 7, they say, Stephen, are these things true? Is this what you're saying? Are you saying that Jesus came to destroy our temple and destroy the law? And then, as we just read, for 53 verses... Stephen goes into this rehash and recount of Israel's history. A lot of it is the Exodus story, the book that we just got out of a few books ago in our church that we studied. But he does this not because they didn't know it. It wasn't because they didn't know their history, right? He's actually singing to the choir here. These are educated Jewish leaders but the reason why he goes into a lot of these like really detailed stories of Moses and the Exodus and Abraham and exile and the law, he does this because 
like so much of Israel in general, they also missed the point of a lot of their history. There were key dots of their history that they failed to connect, that ultimately was, was leading to the culmination of Israel's story in the person of Jesus as Messiah. And so what Stephen is trying to do by this rehash is he's trying to remind them of the story and he's trying to connect these key dots in their own history. These are his people, his own people's history, God's people. And he's trying to remind them that everything actually is pointing to Jesus. Jesus isn't trying to do away with it, but he's actually coming to fulfill all of it. And so he highlights two things. One is the temple and one is the law because that's what they bring to him. Are you just trying to destroy the temple and the law? And for, for them, you know, like the temple housed the presence of God where they would come together and gather around. But what we see is that Jesus uh, fulfilled that. He was the very presence of God he, because he was God in the flesh. And even when he died upon the cross, the veil in the temple temple that separated God's presence from God's people was actually torn. At the moment that Jesus died, symbolically, the thing that separated actually God's people from God's presence was torn away with, giving God's people now full access to his presence through Jesus Christ. The death upon the cross made a way for all people to experience the presence of God, not just the high priest, not just once a, once a day, uh, once a year on one day, but Paul describes that through the power of the cross and the Holy Spirit, that we now are actually the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in us, not one specific building. And then the law. Even Jesus himself said that he didn't come to abolish the law, the things that Moses, uh, that, that God gave Moses and to Israel, the Ten Commandments and the law, but he actually came to fulfill those things. It was all pointing to him. It was incomplete without him. And so what Stephen is doing is he's using Israel's own shared story and shared history, and he's trying to show them what they've missed. Again, he is pleading with his own countrymen, his own people. Like he's speaking to himself in there. He's sharing the good news of, no, 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 guys, this is, Jesus is who we've been waiting for. He's who the prophets have spoken about. Here's who Moses was pointing to, and here's who the temple points to. It's all coming to a head with the person of Jesus. But what we read here in verse 54 is that response was not met in understanding or acceptance, but rather the opposite. It says that the Sanhedrin, these Jewish officials, this, this group of people that were grilling Stephen actually became so furious that they were gnashing their teeth at him. And what we see next is the incredibly brutal account of the death of Stephen by stoning. It's like a mob-like execution where they dragged him out. This wasn't like a proper trial, uh, uh, anything like that. This was a mob mentality execution. 
And Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Christian faith. And there's just a few connecting points I want to make for us in this. And, uh, but, but first, I want to make sure that you're aware of another character in the story that we meet for the first time that's introduced at the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. And that is a person by the name of Saul. It says they... As they were stoning Stephen, they threw their coats down at the feet of Saul and that Saul actually um, agreed to this and he encouraged what was happening. Uh, This man, Saul, he would become the chief persecutor of the church. We're going to see that next chapter. But in a few short chapters, what will happen is that he will be miraculously saved and his name will be changed to... Paul. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Paul the Apostle. The same man here standing and signing off of Stephen's death is actually Paul, the soon-to-be Apostle. But again, that's a whole other story we're going to get to just in a little bit of time here. But here's what I want to draw out. When Stephen was alive, what was the tone and tenor of his life? It was it was living for Christ, right? He was empowered. He was emboldened. He was steadfast. And he was willing to count the cost to follow Jesus. This was not comfort Christianity. What we see in Stephen is this deep-rooted, heartfelt, spirit-filled following of Jesus. Not only in words, but in deed. And also... Even to the point of death, this was true. I don't don't know if you picked up on it, but it's very significant, particularly the last two sentences at the end of chapter 7 that Stephen utters before he dies, verses 59 and 60. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Do these phrases sound familiar to you? Have you you heard these before? Do you remember them? They're almost verbatim of what Jesus said when he also was dying on the cross. And what's remarkable is that even unto his dying breath, Stephen was Christ-like. And and here's what I believe the significance is to those two phrases specifically. You know, the first one where Stephen is speaking to the Lord. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I believe that communicates loving union and oneness. It communicates that Stephen had a genuine relationship and connection with his God, that Stephen was in loving union with Jesus. I think it's something to know. But also when Stephen says next, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, what that communicates is a genuinely transformed Christ-like person Stephen had to be. That in the moments that he's being killed and murdered, he asked God to forgive his murderers in that very moment he was being killed. I mean, it's an incredible testimony 
of, of an ordinary man, freshly saved, empowered by the Spirit, living the way of Jesus until death. But here's what I, I can't escape as I read this. And I think it's a bit of application for us. Is What I can't escape as I read this is the commitment to Christ despite circumstances that Stephen had. Right? Whatever it was, it was about Jesus. Like for Stephen here, there was no budging. He didn't soft pedal. He didn't deny truth when he was questioned about it. He didn't get out of it. He didn't try to keep the peace, uh, just not to ruffle feathers or rock the boat. He was so committed to see God's kingdom come that he was willing to, to die for it. And as you know, right, we have it so good. And, and really easy when it comes to persecution for our faith here in America. We don't have the same threat. Other places in the world do. It's very real and it's still happening right now. But in our context, I'm not saying that we don't get persecuted for our faith at all, but it's in a very different way. In our context, I think what we have trouble with what we all struggle with, maybe more than we admit, is what people think of us when it comes to our faith. See, we're really wrapped up with our reputation. Um, we want peace. We don't want drama. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want, we don't want anything to happen. That's what most of us kind of lead out of. And if we're not careful, what that can do is it can actually compromise our own convictions. Our own convictions uh, that God from his word and by his spirit are leading us in. Case in point, a perfect example can be what's happening right now in our world, in our nation, in our community, in our church, right? Is, is standing up and speaking out for injustice on behalf of our colored brothers and sisters, uh, I've talked with, and I, I kind of know where a lot of you guys are at, and, and not just in our church, but in our community and kind of on Facebook and social media. And so many of my dear Christian friends are struggling to kind of take a stand and speak for, for justice and for equality because of fear who will be sad at them. Not so much for offending um, someone of color, but it's actually more of like, oh, I don't want to be, you know, uh, putting that label. I don't want to like be put in that camp. I don't want to be, you know, persecuted. I don't want to like have someone think something of me or, or have someone block me or lose a friend on Instagram and all this stuff. And I believe that like we're really sitting and wrestling with it. And I want to encourage all of us to take a lesson from Stephen. That we need to be kingdom people that we need to walk in the way of Jesus. And I want to remind us that Jesus promised that following him, we would encounter hardship, that it would be very uncomfortable to choose the way of Jesus. And when it comes to speaking forth the truth of God's heart into a social justice space that we're in right now, that is going to magnify the uncomfortability. I don't think that's a word, but it's going to magnify the sense that you're not comfortable and that there's consequences to standing up for justice. What I want to do 
is I want to exhort us to do the right thing, the kingdom thing, the Jesus thing in response to others despite the cost. But the hope of why I believe that is worth it can be found in the fruit that comes from living this way. The fruit that can come from living for Christ despite the consequences. And I want to again take Stephen's example as something that we can learn from. What is the effect of Stephen's death here? What we're going to see and what we just saw in the very first verses of chapter 8 is that Stephen's death actually ends up scattering the church all over, way outside of Jerusalem. And that might be bad, you think. Oh, no, like the church isn't together. They're, they're having to be scattered now. But Stephen's death is actually the very catalyst that propels the church into the mission to take the truth of who Jesus is to the world. And we would be amiss if we didn't see that in part why the gospel or how the gospel has made it to us, to me, to you, to all of us. In part, it's because of the sacrifice of Stephen. Because of that, it dispersed the gospel into the world. Now the gospel has reached the whole world. It's because of Stephen, despite the cost, he chose to follow Christ. Church, I know the waters are messy and, and, and confusing. And it can be hard to know what to do right now. But I want us to remember that first and foremost, that we're kingdom people. That our identity is not a, a, a party or a certain people group. or, or we're, we're not supposed to be separate like that. We're, as Christians, we follow the way of Jesus. I want us to remember that, to cut through it, to remember that we're kingdom people, and to encourage us to be emboldened despite our reputations, despite those who might not agree, to stand up for what God cares about. God cares about the vulnerable and the oppressed and the hurting. Jesus went after them, and so should we, despite the cost. We should live for him despite the outcome. And as we enter into this time of worship now, I want to encourage you to gather with those around you to take communion and to remember the cross and the price he paid for you. And also, after service today, as you gather in your house churches, I want to ask you that you, before just starting to talk, before leaving the house, if you can, I'd love for you to gather, turn off the TV, and you'd pray for each other. I want to ask us to pray for each other to be filled with the Spirit like Stephen was. Stephen was filled with the Spirit, and it made him full of grace and full of wisdom. He was full of the Spirit. He was full of power and boldness to be used to see God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And church, we need to pray for that now. Guys, we need to pray that we would be full of grace, full of boldness, full of power to see God's kingdom come. Our, our world needs 
the kingdom of God to come. And so, church, let's pray that in for ourselves that we would be full of grace and full of wisdom as we go forward and live out the way of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. As we enter into this time of worship right now, we would just, I just pray that you would be, we would be reminded of our identity that is in Christ. God, would you take our fear, the fear of what others think, the fear of hard conversations, the fear of reputation. We lay that down on your feet. We surrender it and say, what you think is all that matters. We want to take up our cross. We want to deny ourselves. We want to follow you. Help us to, to make us a kingdom people. Would you do that, Holy Spirit? Fill our homes now with your presence. We want to worship you for who you are and what you've done. Pray these things in Jesus' name.